Now I will bring up here for uh, his opportunity to talk to us about God's Word, Reverend Mark Harris. Thank you so much. Well, good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Y'all have really honored myself and my family. Uh, I don't know how well you know the board governing board or the search team, but in a good way, y'all can really be proud of them. They've been just incredible uh, for us coming up here. So this has been great. This has been a journey for us. I'm from Appleton, which is about 30 miles south of Green Bay. That's the home of Harry Houdini and Rocky Blair and Joe McCarthy, in case y'all wondering. Uh, We do cows and cheese and the Green Bay Packers. Not necessarily in that order. I usually would say we do snow, but I understand y'all put us to shame with that one. And so we're, I don't want to bring that up right now. Uh, we are, again, glad to be here. We've been praying a lot for uh, our time here. My family and I would get down every night on our knees in the living room and, and pray this thing through because we don't know all that God's got going on either. Um, afterwards, if I know we've got to pick up kids and get your cars and all those things and get to dinner, but if you are able to stop and just introduce yourself to, to me, that would be great. I'd love to talk with you. One bit of pastoral uh, counsel I would like, you know, expectations for the senior pastor. Would, does the senior pastor need to be a Buffalo Bills fan, a Cleveland Browns fan, or a Pittsburgh Steelers fan? Because you all like right between all of them. This, this can kind of be a game changer for me, just so you all y'all know. So you can show that for me uh, later on. You know, about uh, 12 years ago, I was walking through the hall of my office, and I, I tripped. Now, my foot didn't get hung up, and it's kind of hard to explain. It feels like you tripped inside, but I looked around, made sure no one saw me, and just kept on going. Next day, I tripped again. And the next day, I tripped again. Now, I'd been having pretty severe headaches, and so I went to the, thought this was a good time to go to the doctor. Went to the doctor, he said, oh, it's probably a sinus infection, gave me lots of prescriptions. Multiple prescriptions later, uh, my, my condition continued to deteriorate. I was now tripping two or three times a day. I remember waking up in the morning. This didn't happen every morning, but on occasion, I'd wake up and the room would be spinning. Feel like you're on like the tilt-a-whirl at the, the, the fair or circus. Wherever. So I'm hanging on to the bed. I remember being thrown out of my bed because the room was spinning so fast. Well, my doctor said, well, you need to go see an ear, nose, and throat doctor because you got something that I, don't, I can't deal with. So I went to the ear, nose, and throat guy, long rigmarole, lots of procedures. And uh, lots, of, lots of drugs. I remember coming out of uh, Perkins one morning for a breakfast meeting, and my vision went double. And I did a stupid thing. I decided to drive to work. And I don't know if I drove down the middle, if I closed an eye, how I did it. But somehow I got to, to, to church, and I was seeing double, and I was in the tilt-the-world thing going on, and life was just a real mess. And we called the ENT, and we said, what is the deal with the double vision? He said, you need to go see a neurologist, because this is beyond me. Well, up to this point... My anxiety level had been pretty good. You know, I kind of joked with it. I'd never really been sick before. It was not a big deal, right? But a neurologist. You know, I didn't know a whole lot about neurologists, but I assumed that if they find anything, it's not going to be good. And, you know, they got big old needles and all kinds of... You know, you need to know something about myself. I've got a chronic condition called needle wimpitis. And every, my, my whole family, it's hereditary, I'm sure, because you can line up my dad and my mom and my sister and myself and my three brothers. And if you just walk in front of us carrying a hypodermic needle, every one of us <laughs> would faint. I've seen every member of my family faint just talking 
about a blood test. You know, they're running for the couch and putting their head down and deep breathing exercises. Just needle wins. But, but here they wanted to do some pretty substantial needle tests with me. I remember I went in for my first spinal tap. And, oh, man, I'd never, even, I'd never really been sick before in my life. And so I go in, and I'm scared to death. And I get in the, the, the room, and the, the nurse, with all the finesse of a World Federation wrestler, says, Take off your shirt! And I say, Okay, I take off the shirt. Well, I'm feeling lightheaded, so I start heading for the examination table, and I said, You know, I, I've got to lay down. And she said, Oh, no, we do this one standing up. I said, I said No, no, you might have done the last one standing up, but see, this one here, we've got to do this one lying down. She said, Stand up! I'm standing up and I'm leaning over the table and she wheels on the other side of the examination table uh, an adjustable tray like you get in the hospital. And she cranks this thing up and she says, hang on to this. So I'm hanging on to this baby and my knuckles are white on there. And she puts a pillow on it. And in all honesty, I, I was seriousness, I ask her, uh, is this for like when I pass out, just going to hit the pillow? And she said, you're not going to pass out. I said, oh yeah? You just watch me. And so I, I'm, I'm hanging on it. And so, so I put my head down on the pillow, she told me to. And the doctor walks in. Have you ever been through one of these things? If you're not used to them, it's an incredible, if you're needle wimp, incredible anxiety. Now the doctor walks in, he puts his thumb up and down my spine. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is, oh yeah, this is the place. I'm thinking, oh no, no, that's not the place. <laughs> I'm praying, oh God, I've never prayed for the rapture before, Lord. But I'm telling you, right, right now would be a good time. And I hear him rummaging around for his tools, the needles. I'm going, oh, it sounds, it sounds silly. But I was as close to a nervous breakdown, I think, as I've ever been in my life. And so I don't know why, but I just started quoting Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie, I don't get passion. He leads me to the sight of the Lord. He stores my soul. He leads me to righteous for the name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is kind of like the valley of the shadow of death. And I'll fear no evil. Yeah, okay, okay. Because thou art with me. Yeah, that's right. Thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. Oh, and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I would repeat this. I didn't know it at the time, but many, many different procedures over the next multiple months trying to figure out what the issue was. Well, what is the anxiety issue in your life today? You know, I hope it wasn't what I had, but you know, in all honesty, there are a whole lot worse things. Some of y'all might be facing them. From a uh, crisis tourist just looking at your life, it might not be a big deal, but you know internally, this is, is really wreaking havoc on your faith. And my, my wonderment is, is, is seeing Christians who, who proclaim the sovereignty of God, but as soon as anxiety comes knocking, put it aside. Oh yeah, God is good. I'll deal with that later. First of all, I've got to get out from underneath this issue. As if that has nothing to do with the issue. When anxiety comes to roost, and y'all know this, that unless you get killed in a car accident on the way home today, it's going to come to every single person in here. It's on its way. It's just a matter of time. And when it comes, how do we deal with it as believers? Is the best way to deal with it, you know, make sure our, our prescription for Valium is filled? Or that our red phone to the counselor's office is plugged in? Or that we're just well-versed in denial? Is, is that the way? Now, obviously, there are tears, and there's confusion, and there's pain, and sometimes there's a, there's a degree of anger, and that can be healthy. But there has to be a strong faith as well. And that's not according to our default system. We have to intentionally choose that. You ever think that the greatest apologetic for, for Jesus, for there being a God, is not necessarily our argumentation, but it's how we handle anxiety as the world watches us deal with these things? 
I think in, in Psalm 23, you've got a prescription for spiritual sanity. And what we want to do is just kind of unpack that a little bit this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, I know you probably all got it memorized, but if you've got your Bibles, open up anyway to Psalm 23, because it's important, I think, to see it, to look at the text as God put it down to us. While you're turning, you know, the uh, MRI room at Mayo Clinic. It's just an interesting place, interesting layout. It's, it's like a, a wheel, and the hub is a big open room, and uh, I'm guessing it's probably from here to the back doors, and there's a major light-up cylinder panel. All, that's where all the radiologists kind of gather around, and they put up the pictures, and each of the spokes is an individual MRI room. Well, I come out, out of the tube at Mayo, and I kind of sit up, and there is... is the team of neuroradiologists with all my pictures of my brain up there pointing and talking and pointing and talking, then they just kind of stop and they all turn to face me. They turn back, they're pointing and talking and pointing and talking. Then the nurse walks in. They would like a few more pictures. You know, my tonsils, yeah, appendix, okay. I've got two kidneys, I'll be able to deal with that. But my brain? I need, I think I need my brain here. So I go back in the tube. And I'm praying, I'm I'm quoting Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Easy for David to say. I mean, he's the king. Everyone's paying him taxes. Yeah, easy to say at that point. So the history of Psalm 23 was important for me. And as you study it through, you know, many scholars believe that when David wrote this, he was at the time of some of his darkest times of his life. Absalom, his son had stirred up a coup, it had won the hearts of the common people, had snuck into the military, and had won the loyalty of much of the military, had even snuck into the palace, and won much of the loyalty in the hearts of David's counselors and friends. When the critical mass was there, Absalom came through the front door of Jerusalem, heading toward the palace, he was going to execute his dad. Well, David gets word of this, and so he heads out the back door of Jerusalem. And it's shortly after that that he pens Psalm 23. Now look at verse 1 for a second. The Lord is my shepherd, you know, I shall not want. He doesn't say, my bank account's doing well, therefore I shall not want. My 401k is healthy, therefore I shall not want. My, my health is doing all right. My, my kids are on the, the, the straight and narrow, therefore I shall not want. You know, my job is secure, my friendships are great, life is warm and fuzzy, therefore I shall not want. He doesn't say those things because he can't say those things. At this point in history, all David has got is his God. And it's so interesting that he looks at it, and I I love NLT's translation of this. It says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He needs nothing else. That's really the summation of the entire psalm. Let's look at the rest of the psalm just briefly and unpack this. By the way, if you're having a... a little bit stuck in a rut as far as quiet time. You're wondering what you should be doing as far as time with God. There's those six verses here. It's enough for a week. I think it's enough for a couple of months. But take a verse a day and just meditate and think this through. Journal out. What does this mean for you? As we, we look at this, uh, I normally am not into alliteration, but it works with this text very well. So we're going to look at some of the provision of the shepherd. And understanding this provision is what helps us when anxiety comes to roost. The first thing you notice is the shepherd provides serenity in verses 2 and 3. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He lays me beside still quiet waters. He restores my soul. The, the picture here 
is of a sheep that has just been through it. I mean, he's been through the wilderness for some time. Cockaburs in its wool, mud in its wool, maybe matted blood, because he's just, just exhausted. Uh, in every way, he can be exhausted. But the shepherd understands the limitations of the sheep. And when the sheep think they can't go any further, the shepherd makes them lie down in lush, green pastures. You know, there's no activity. The, the sheep here do not have to be scrambling around and figuring out the plan to find still waters. No, the shepherd's going to take them to the still waters. And the purpose, again, is the restoring of the soul. Let me ask you, have you ever been spiritually fatigued? You know what I mean by that? Maybe, maybe you started off following Jesus a long time ago. And, and remember that day? Lots of passion and excitement and love for him. And you got involved in the church because, man, you just love him so much. And you've been serving and serving. And over the years, you've continued to be serving, which is a good thing. But the passion and the excitement, just somewhere along the line, it dwindled down. It was lost. And maybe you're still going through the service, which is a good thing. But, but the excitement for, for Jesus is just not there. The reason why you used to do it, it's not, not the same anymore. And you'd say, you know what? I am spiritually fatigued. I could sure use some restoration. How does the shepherd restore us? What's his primary way? Psalm 19.7, I think this is so cool. It says, the Lord, law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You want to guess that word reviving, what it's the exact same word as? Restoring the soul in Psalm 23. The way the shepherd primarily restores our soul is with his, his word. Now, this is, is good because sometimes we think that the Bible is just to give us directions for how we're supposed to live life and how we're supposed to think, and it certainly does that. But our time in God's word restores us. It rejuvenates us. It gives us new life. It gives us new breath. And so, how is your time alone with God these days if it's been pushed out because of activity let me even say this, if it's been pushed out because of church activity, then maybe what we need to do is take a sabbatical and say, you know what, I need to avail myself of the shepherd's serenity. I need to be before him in his word, not hurry up, here's the clock, God speak to me, I've got ten minutes, make it quick. And if he does or doesn't, it doesn't matter, I've got ten minutes, I'm done. Normally he's not going to speak into your life at that rate. And so we need to examine ourselves. For some of us, I'm guessing, we don't need any more message this morning than that. Stop and examine how is my own time with the Lord. If you're feeling spiritually fatigued, you're not getting restoration, then you're probably not availing yourself to it. It's often what it comes down to. The, the shepherd provides serenity. He also provides sight. Look at verse 3. It says, He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I like that, for his name's sake. Because sometimes we think he guides me in paths of righteousness because he loves me so much. Because I'm so important to him. Because, because my comfort is number one on his to-do list. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You remember Exodus 32. Uh, Moses had just pulled the Israelites out of Egypt. Stopped off at Sinai. You know, Moses went up on the mountain. Long time in coming down. What do the people do? They blow God off. They call it quits for Moses. They decide to go their own route. They're worshiping idols and everything else. Moses starts coming down the mountain. God sees the Israelites as well. And it's as if God's rolling up his sleeves. He says, Moses, just step aside. These, these, these bozos are done, man. I'm taking these guys out right now. And Moses kind of jumps between God and the people. And kind of on a parenthetical note, God, didn't, he knew what he was doing. He didn't need Moses to do this. I think he was testing Moses here. But, but Moses stands up and says, oh God, hang on. 
you, you know, you know, these people, they, I mean, they deserve it. No question about it. And, and you're God, you know, you do what you need to do. Uh, but you can't just wipe out two million people and have others not hear about it. What are they going to think in Egypt when they hear about this? God, what are they going to think of you? They're going to think that, that you, maybe you couldn't handle these guys. Or, or maybe you called your people out in, the, out in the desert because you're just mad at them and you just want to want to hurt them all. I mean, what Moses is saying is, for your name's sake, you've got to guide your people. You've got to protect them. God doesn't guide me because I've earned it, because I've been real good, because somehow I've deserved it. He guides me for his name's sake. I really believe, if you love the Lord, it is hard to get out of his will. He wants us in his will more than we want to be there. He guides us for his name's sake. The shepherd gives us serenity. He gives us sight. He also gives us safety. Let's look at the next verse. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think this is, this is a pivotal verse in this, in this text, especially if you look at context. Look at the verse above it again for just a second. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And now this guy, he just said, God's guided him in paths of righteousness, and now he's going through a path in the middle of the shadow, valley of shadow of death. What has happened? Has this guy gotten off the path? Has he ditched the shepherd? Has he fallen behind the shepherd? Has he swerved off? What's he doing going through the valley of the shadow of death? Unless the path through the valley of the shadow of death just happens to be a path of righteousness that the shepherd has led him through. Now, sometimes we think if, if it's a cloudy day, somehow God has left us. Maybe that's not the case at all. He leads us this way. Also, you know what's really neat about this, this text is notice the pronoun shift. Up to this point, Psalmist has been talking about God, third person. He's done this for me, he's done that for me, he's done the other thing for me. But here, it shifts to second person. You. you know, he, he stops talking about God, stop, starts talking to God. Doesn't suffering have a way with us that way? Where our faith, the theory of it, is put aside once we hit suffering. Is this real or is this not real? It's, I just finished up a study on, on Job. and It's so interesting, isn't it? His friends, all of them, talked a lot about God. But never once did they talk in second person. Never once did they talk to God. But Job was going through it. He talked about God, but often he talks to God as well. Suffering has a way of doing that with us. Uh, suffering does that. Just, you know, I've got a uh, prayer. In the, I've got to read you this. This is good. In the first front part of my Bible, by Thomas Merton. This is my Lord God. I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. This guy's very honest, isn't he? But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear. You are ever with me. And you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Ever. I, I, I know that sometimes when I have to, and you're a parent, you know, you've got to discipline your kids. They're probably not feeling your love at that point. They probably wouldn't say you love them, but as a parent, you know there's probably no time when, you, when hardship's coming on your kids and you're in the middle of it 
Will you love him more? Will you love him most? He didn't, doesn't leave us at that time, but he guards us. He protects us. He's there with us. Um, when I was at, at Mayo, I remember I was being, they just told me they thought it was brain cancer. Uh, it wasn't. It was just, let me set this straight. It was just inflammation. They didn't know that at the time they had to operate. I had a biopsy. They didn't think you'd biopsy your brain. I officially have less brains than anyone in my family. They're quick to tell me this. Um, but it was, it was inflammation. They said, Mr. Irish will die one day. You won't die of this. It's going to heal up. You'll, whatever. And so I, I'm, I walk. When I walk today, I feel like I'm on a balance beam. So if someone comes up behind me, hey, Mark, how you doing? Bam, they're going to knock me off the beam. Uh, if I get home and my golden retriever jumps up on me, we're, all, we're both down. I come home and the kids come running, Daddy, I'm, I'm, ah, I'm hanging on to whatever I can hang on to because we're going to have a big pile on the floor. But uh, they just told me they thought it was a brain cancer. I'm, I'm, Teresa's pushing me in the wheelchair because I can't even walk at this point. We're right outside St. Luke's in Rochester, and I'm, I'm down because obviously I'm going to lose my wife of only six years. I don't want to widow her. I've got two little kids who are never going to know their dad. So it's kind of a bummer time for me. Uh, only twice in my life do I believe God has spoken to me this clearly anyway. And it wasn't an audible voice, but it was as if he said to me, Hey, Mark, everything's right on schedule. I thought, this is part of the plan? Mark, did you give me your life? Well, yeah, I gave you your life, my life, but this is part of it. Everything's right on schedule. For me, I thought, well, you know what, God, that means you're going to take care of my wife and my kids. This is part of the plan. All right, let's do it. Let's go. I don't know where this is going to end, but let's do it. Uh, I, I don't know why God said that to me and not to everybody who goes through anxiety, maybe because my faith is so weak. But I think if you find yourself in huge anxiety today, it feels like the shepherd has left you. You need to know that he's right here with you. And he would say, everything's right on schedule. I'm with you. I have not left you. You, you. you didn't get off in a big mess somewhere. I'm here with you. It'll be, it'll be okay. The shepherd gives us serenity and sight and safety. And he also provides significance. Uh, the next verse, verse 5. And this is important for us when we try to find our significance in this world, in the marketplace, and through sporting accomplishments and vocal accomplishments and all the different things that man might say and give us awards for that are good for us. How often do we go back and relive something that we did 50 years ago? Because that was where we, when we were significant. But here it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now this anointing your head with oil, that sounds like the, the blunt end of a practical joke a little bit, doesn't it? Now, but it's an ancient oriental custom where if somebody was coming over your house, somebody you, you, you really were fond of, I mean, you didn't do this for everybody. You seldom did this. But this person was incredibly special, came over to you. You'd take a, a, a vial of, of, of olive oil mixed with perfume. Uh, don't think a two-gallon jug, like a test tube kind of thing. You'd take off the top and you'd pour it over them. Now, again, we lose this today because in our era of you know, perfume shampoos and perfume conditioners and perfume shaving lotions and perfume perfume and perfume uh, deodorant. And, you know, we come out of our bathrooms in the morning smelling like a floor shop in springtime, right? Well, here these people do not take baths on a regular basis. So, they, so the, the sweet smell was a very rare, extraordinary treat. 
And so when you poured that over that person's head, the whole room filled with that smell. And this individual knew, and everybody else knew, that this person was incredibly important to you. It's as if God, the shepherd, would take a, a vial and say, you, you are my favorite. I'm doing this for you. Individually, not corporately. Dave Busby used to be a, a youth worker years ago. He's gone home to be with the Lord. But he had polio as a little boy and uh, cystic fibrosis he was diagnosed with. And he said when he was in junior high, his, he would go out on Saturday morning and just hang out by his driveway because his older brother and the entire basketball team from school would come and practice at their house. His brother was one of the captains, one of the stars. And he would just sit out there and watch them. He said, one day the guys were one person short, and so his brother came to him and said, hey, Dave, we need you to, to be one, on one of the teams. Dave said, me? Oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry. You'll just off to the side and everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. But we need you out there to make it even, though we can't play. So all the guys lined up to, to be chosen. And the two, Dave's brother and the other co-captain of the team, were choosing up sides. So here's Dave trying to get tall, and he's looking at these guys next to him. And this guy, you know, scored a ton of points Friday night. And this guy just got a scholarship to the major university for basketball, and he's standing up there trying to look big. And his brother won the flip, and his brother started to choose, got to choose first, and it's going, Dave, I choose Dave. He said he was stunned. He didn't know what to do with this. He looked around, and the other guys were looking at him, so he started walking towards his brother to get behind him for the team. And he said he just broke down and started to run to his brother and just jumped up in his arms sobbing because he realized, maybe for the first time, his brother didn't choose him because he could help, because he was good for the team. He chose him just because he loved him. He loved him so much, it was more important than winning. Here, we say this all the time in church world, but where you are, if you're in Christ, you're not there because God needed you on the team or because you're so... Special, though I'm certain you're special, but only because he loves you. He really does. Not in a corporate loves the world, and I kind of slide in on the, on the coattails of that one. No, no, he loves you individually. He does. That's the significance we have. So the shepherd provides for us serenity and sight and safety and significance, and he also provides for us security. Verse 6, it says, Surely goodness... And love will follow me all the days of my life. We think, yeah, God's love is probably 100 miles behind me following me. Maybe it'll catch me by the time I get to heaven. But right now, it's not part of my life. No, 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 no. The, the word for follow is a military term. And it means to chase after hard to the point of capturing completely. In other words, it doesn't matter if you can run as fast as Michael Vick. And you've got all those moves. You cannot run the shepherd. He's even quicker than Vick. And he'll catch you. And his love will surround you. We might not feel it. We might not sense that it's there, but it's more God's love, Christ's love, the shepherd's love is much more than a feeling. It's a state of being. It's a barbed wire fence around us. It can't, we can't get away from it, though we might not feel it. He goes on, he says that uh, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that the shepherd provides also self. And this is the greatest gift that the shepherd provides. The house of the Lord, the tabernacle, the temple, was not just an icon. It wasn't just something the Jews stamped on the back of their coins. It wasn't a lucky rabbit's foot. Though I'm guessing probably for some people it was. But it was 
the very threshold of the presence of God. You could never be closer to God's presence than you would be if you were at the temple, if you were at the tabernacle. And what David is saying here is so huge in our anxiety. And, and that is that he's looking not just for right now, which can sometimes look bad, but he's looking beyond. He, he's, he's looking to, I will be with him, with the shepherd, personally. Not just for what he can do for me, for who he is, or forever. Uh, a man who understood that the shepherd was a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. I don't know if you've heard of Horatio Spafford. 1871, the Chicago fire wiped out a lot of his assets. And just prior to that, he and his wife went through their own fires. They buried their only son. And so after the, the fire, they were looking for a vacation. They said, man, we have got to get away. So they had planned a, a trip with his, he and his wife and their three daughters. They were going to go to England where their friend D.L. Moody was preaching, and they would hang with him for a while. They just needed to get away. But the last minute, Horatio was called back for business, and he said, listen, you guys go ahead and get on, on the, the, the boat, and, and I will meet you over there in just a couple of days. And so his wife and daughters got on the SS Ville de Havre, and they started across the Atlantic. About halfway across, the ship was struck with an iron sailing vessel. It went down immediately. His wife was spared, but his three daughters all perished. Well, when he got word, obviously he was heartbroken. He took the next ship he could over to be with his wife. And about halfway there, the captain came down and said, Mr. Spafford, right here is where we think the Ville de Havre went down. Your daughters perished here. He thanked him and went into his cabin and closed the door. And I'm guessing none of us would find fault with this man if he would have sat there and, and raised his, his, his hand to God and said, God, why? But instead, he raised a pen, and he wrote this. He said, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. goes on, he says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Third verse is my favorite. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, that my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And then finally he says, And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back like a scroll, the trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend, even so, it is well with my soul. What anxiety issues are you dealing with right now? We're going to take just a moment, in just a moment, to lay those at his feet. And they scare us, don't they? It's a, life can be a scary thing, this sight of glory. But we need to know that the shepherd is there with us. That, that, that he gives us himself in the midst of it and security, and significance, and safety, and sight, and serenity. And so let's take a moment and tell him what he already knows in your own heart. Would you give him that anxiety issue?